Now, the sermon. So um, we're going over the book of John. If you haven't been here, we're talking through the book of John. And the book of John, at the heart of it, is all about revealing God to the unbeliever in a way. It's all showing everybody that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And so everything that is in that book is tailored to that. Um, but what's difficult about preaching about a whole chapter, there's a lot that happens in a chapter. And I only have 27 minutes left, okay? And so I've just, I'm just picked one part of it. But I didn't want to neglect the other part. So real quick, I'm going to talk about what we're not going to go over, okay? <laughs> one thing that we're not going to go over that happens in John chapter 6 is Jesus walking on water. And, uh, and there's a lot that we could actually pull from that story. There's a lot that we can learn. I mean, we, most of us have heard it. You know, Jesus walks by on the water, and then Peter's like, you know, hey, let me call me out so I can walk with you. And then he doubts, and he starts sinking, and there's a lot of life lessons we could pull from that. It's also kind of a funny story because um, it happens after, after what I'm going to talk about. And so Jesus is telling his disciples after this crazy experience, he's like, I need some time alone. You guys, you go on ahead to, I believe they're going to Capernaum. You go to Capernaum, I'm going to hang back. And they're, and they're like, oh, you sure? Like, you don't want some of us to stay with you? And he says, no, everybody just go. So they get in the boat, and it was nighttime, and they're going all the way across. And finally, at some point, Jesus decides, all right, I'm going to catch up with them. Um, it's about a 10-kilometer walk. They're in Bethsaida, from Bethsaida to Capernaum, and if you could picture it, a line, and then there's a lake, and I think that Jesus is probably up standing there, and he's looking, he's like, I could walk around the lake, or I could just take this shortcut, and, and I think he was being a little comedic, because if you read in one of the accounts, the gospel accounts, it says that Jesus actually meant to just walk right past his disciples, like, he wasn't even going to just catch up to them. He was going to walk past them. And then when they got to the other side, he was, ah, oh, hop out of a bush or something. Surprise, I'm here. And they would be like, oh. And, but what ended up happening, this is what we're not covering, by the way. And what ended up happening is they saw him. They thought he was a ghost. And they were really afraid. And Jesus must have thought, well, that's funny enough. I'll just get in the boat with them. And so that's one thing that's, whew, that happened that we're not going to cover. The other thing is that uh, Jesus talks um, about himself metaphorically, but he's talking about real things. He says, I am the bread of life. And if you read that chapter, it talks about communion, right? When we do communion here, um, the juice represents the blood that Jesus spilt to cover our sins. The bread represents his broken body, right? And in John chapter 6, Jesus is talking to people and he's like, I am the bread of life. This is after the, the miracle that we're going to talk about that he does where he multiplies bread. And he says, I'm the bread of life, that you won't hunger again. You should eat my flesh. And you should, those who, who drink my blood, I think he says. And he's obviously not talking about cannibalism. But a lot of people believed that he was at the time. It says that a lot of uh, his disciples actually were offended. They, and they left him. Not of the 12, there was more than 12 disciples at that time. They actually, uh, they, they left them. It's, it's quite an interesting part to read. But now today we know, obviously, that's not what he was talking about. He's not talking about cannibalism. I didn't plan to say that word today up here, but it's coming up. <clears throat> okay, 
So <laughs> what we are going to talk about, you guys, uh, obviously, you've heard, most of us, I'm guessing, have heard of the five loaves, two fish miracle that Jesus performed. It was one of his biggest miracles, and we're going to read through it real quick. John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15 says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd following him uh, was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up the mountain, and he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him. For he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to give each of them even a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now that there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them. He distributed them uh, to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, "Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost." So they granted them. Uh, so they gathered them. Sorry, and filled um, twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that they had done, that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come to the world. Perceiving then that they were to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus again withdrew, uh, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So there are um, two miracles that actually made it to all four books of the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And Jesus performed lots of miracles, but there's only two of them that actually made it to all four books. The, the, uh, this is one of them. This is the one, right? The Jesus feeding the 5,000. Does anybody want to take a guess at what the other one is? Just, it's okay to shout it out at church. I'm allowing it. Who, what's the other one? The resurrection. That's right. Only two miracles made it to all four books of the gospel. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is like the best one, and this one, right? So this, this is a significant, important thing, and it's got a lot of implications that we really should be paying attention to. This is the, these are the only two miracles that made it to all four books of the gospel. Also, this miracle is Jesus' biggest miracle, Right? The, there was, it says in the book of John here, it says 5,000 men. And that's just the way that they counted back then, right? They counted by families, and they would just count the men. But in Matthew chapter 14, where you could also read about this, it says not including men and women. And so theologians believe that there was between 20 and 25,000 people there. Because wherever there are men, at least 5,000 of them, there are some women. And whenever there are men and women somewhere, there are children, and so there was about twenty to 25,000 people there. This is the largest miracle that Jesus 
um, did. There's a, another one later on too where he does this again, but there's only 4,000 people that time. So, it's, so you can get those confused, but um, this is the 5,000. And if you, it's, it's a little confusing too. So if you go to all four books of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read this account, you're going to notice some discrepancies. You're going to notice that Mark doesn't exactly say the same thing that Luke does. And Luke doesn't say the same thing that John does. And, and John doesn't really say the exact same thing that Mark does. And so sometimes some people look at this and they get caught up. And they're like, oh, controversy, right? Like this is controversial. They're all saying different stories. But that's really not the case. There's a guy who was a, a former homicide detective turned Christian apology, apologist. His name is J. Warner Wallace. And he wrote a book called Cold Case Christianity. And he puts it this way. He says, whenever he was interviewing eyewitnesses to uh, a crime, if their stories perfectly lined up, that means that they made it up. It was a concocted story. If all the details added up perfectly, that means that their testimonies now became invalid, right? They would actually purposely look for few discrepancies because then that brought it validity because everybody's got a different perspective. We could be all like, for example, everybody here is watching me preach here today. But when you, if you go and you tell somebody else about it, your stories aren't going to line up perfectly, right? Because we all have different perspectives viewing the same event. So just in case you're going through and you're thinking, this doesn't quite line up, that's supposed to be that way. It means that it, um, it actually brings it validity once you, once you get down to it. And back then also, something wasn't considered true unless two or three witnesses came, separate witnesses, and brought forth the same sort of content. And the Bible, just to be safe, gives us four. So if you're ever wondering why uh, things differ in there, that's why. Um, so we're kind of going to go, we're going to go over it, go through it now. Um, verse 1 and 2 says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of Gal the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and large crowds were following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. If there was a person here today, and, and, I, and I know like some people have really uh, grown in a gift of healing. There are a few healing evangelists out there, one of them, Curry Blake, if you listen to him, he's got great stories of laying hands on people and they're being healed. He even says that with this one uh, specific type of sickness, whenever they pray for somebody, they have like a 100% healing rate on that. But those stories aren't very uh, common these days in the sense that I don't really personally know anybody that whenever they pray for somebody to be healed, it happens every single time, right? And so if there's one of these people among us today, it would be pretty easy for them to gather a large crowd. Even with our uh, modern medicine and, and methods and everything, it would, they would, there would be people flocking in. It to, to be healed by them because sickness puts you in a very desperate place. Well, back then, um, medicine wasn't as evolved as it is now. So if you were sick, this was kind of your only hope. And so people at this point in Jesus' ministry, the large crowds were gathering and following him in order uh, to be healed. 
Because if you can heal the sick, you can gather a crowd. Jesus went up on the mountain. This is verse 3 to 5. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, uh, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes, then, seeing that a large crowd was coming, Jesus then said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for them so that these people may eat? Now there's a few details missing there. Right, because you remember, like, these guys, they're not writing this down as it's happening. They're writing it down later when they reflect on it. And you know how it is. You try to remember something that you did earlier, you might leave a few details out. And so if you look in Mark 6, um, it actually gives a little bit more of an expanding explanation at this specific time. It says that Jesus and his crew, his guys, his disciples, they've been really busy. They'd had a really busy day. And it even gives the detail so much to say as they didn't even get a chance to eat their lunch. Like, you ever had a busy day like that? I worked in the drossing plant at Tech. And I, eventually, I just stopped packing lunch because you're just so busy. And um, so they, they were so busy that they, they, they were tired. And then Jesus saw it at that point. He's like, let's go somewhere desolate where nobody is, right? Let's withdraw and let's take a rest. Let's eat our lunches late and, and just hang out. And so as they do that, the crowd figured out where he was. And then they actually came and they followed him. In Matthew 6.34, it says that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Israel's leaders were supposed to be the ones that showed God's heart to the people Israel. But they had failed magnificently at this task. Right, they had they were supposed to shepherd the people of Israel, but they had just done a terrible, terrible job. And so when the, Jesus he sees them coming towards him, and he has compassion on them, he says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now I know that sometimes some of us don't like to be referred as sheep, right? You see that when somebody everybody's getting the new iPhone, you're like, ah, you're just a bunch of sheep. <laughs> now I have an iPhone, just so everybody knows, but. But uh, when you're referring yourself to God, we are his sheep. We're not on the same playing field. And he has compassion on us when we have been misled, when our souls haven't been properly cared for, when we haven't been properly shepherded by him. And so these people, they're desperate for Jesus. And he has compassion on them as they are coming to him. And, um, and, and they've been misled. So he began... This is the part that John skips over. He began teaching them and, he, and, and healing the sick again and doing the work that he was, he was doing. And he did this for a while. In Luke 9, verse 12, it says that he was doing it even into the evening. It says, now the day began to wear away. And, and when we read these accounts, sometimes it really helps to insert ourselves into the story. Otherwise, we kind of read it like bullet points, and we kind of forget and miss some details. And so um, imagine that you're a disciple. You've been really busy, and you finally get a break, but then your lunch break gets interrupted, and, and your boss, your master, decides that it's time to work, right? And so Jesus gets up. He has compassion. He's setting the example. He starts teaching and, and healing them, and one o'clock rolls by. And he's still going. And 2 o'clock rolls by, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock rolls by, he's still going. 
and the day's beginning to wear away. And their stomachs are grumbling and they're hungry. And, and I find myself in this situation here. I have a boss who has a, a drastically different appetite than I do. I can understand a little bit what the disciples <laughs> were like, might have been feeling at this time. For example, James and I, if you haven't caught on who I'm talking about, it's James. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're working in the kitchen here in, in the fireside room, and uh, it's Wednesday. We like to work on Wednesday to, you know, get ourselves out of our desks and some would say do some real work, right? <laughs> and, uh, and do some real work. And so um, we're, we're working on the kitchen, and we, uh, we're at the point where we're going to glue the countertops, you know, like, I don't know what it's called, the material, whatever, that makes the countertop look nice. Um, but it's coming up on lunchtime. And on Wednesday at 1230, uh, Betty, gracious Betty, makes us staff lunch for Operation Feast and all her volunteers. And I love it. It's like my favorite time of the week. It's really good. And so 1230 comes around, and I'm like, hey, it's time for lunch, James, you know. Let's go. And he says, well, actually, hold on. Well, let's lay the glue down first because it's got to tack up, right? You've you got to lay it down. It's got to tack up. And so while it's tacking up, we're gonna, we could eat. And so when we get back, um, then we could, we, could lay the, we could lay the countertops down. And I'm thinking, well, that's really good time management. Like, I'm down. Let's do that. Uh, it took a lot longer to lay the glue down than I, than I thought. Now we're half an hour late for lunch. And we're still, you know, being careful not to get it on the table. We're laying glue everywhere. And, uh, and now we're an hour late for lunch. And we're done laying glue. And so I'm reminding James, food's getting cold, you know. <laughs> like, we got to go eat. But then he's like, oh, but that glue's already tacked up. We really should put it on now. And, <laughs> and I'm just kind of, and we kind of had this look. We looked at each other. And, and he's kind of looking at me like, Stop thinking with your stomach. And I'm looking at him like, start thinking with yours, you know. And, um, <laughs> but what am I going to do? He wants, you know, he wants to do. So we did it. And then so um, we, lay the, we lay the countertop. And then, you know, then you got a router. And I'm just like, well, I might as well just give up on lunch today. Right? Like, I'm fasting now. I'm fasting till dinner. <laughs> and <laughs> we did end up going down eventually as everybody was packing up. But. This is, I imagine, if I was a disciple in the story, this is my downfall. I'd be thinking about my stomach a little bit. Like, Jesus, it's, we didn't eat lunch. It's 6 o'clock. The day's beginning to wear away. And, and so the disciples, they have a problem, right? They have a problem that, that they're, they're hungry. And what do they do? They, what do we do when we have problems? We form these little committees, right? The disciples get together with each other, and they're just like what should we do, right? What are we going to do? And then one of the disciples pipes up, I got an idea. <clears throat> Let's tell him that the crowd's hungry. He doesn't really seem to care about us, but he really cares about the crowd, right? The disciples like, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. That's what we'll do. Um, then, they, then they elect somebody. They elect somebody to go and talk to Jesus. And uh, <laughs> verse 6 to 7 says that Jesus said this to test him. He knew what he would do. And he said, in verse 7, it says, Philip went up. They elected Philip to go up. So Philip goes up, and he says, uh, excuse me, Jesus, excuse me. He says to the crowd, excuse me, hey, um, 
this is great. He says, I love, I love what you're doing here. I love this, uh, this series of sermons you're giving us all at once. Like, this is awesome. We were just talking with the other disciples. We absolutely love it. We could go all night. Um, but we're, we're worried that the crowd is, you know, they're getting hungry. The day's wearing away. And um, maybe we should send them. Maybe you should dismiss them so that they could go to the shops before they close and get some food. Right? And you can see here, Jesus, in verse 6, it says, He said this to test them, for he knew what he was going to do. This is when Jesus said, um, where are we going to buy them bread to eat? And in other versions, he even says, you feed them. So Philip answers that 200 denarii, which is about eight months' wages, wouldn't be enough bread to feed each of them a little. And who's ever been an apprentice here before? Right? Okay. You ever asked your foreman a question, and then he replies with something that you feel like you should know, but you have no way to coming to that answer? Philip is like, we got to feed him. Jesus is like, well, you feed him. And he's just got this stunned look on his face. Uh, uh. <laughs> and then <laughs> you go on and you say, Jesus, in, in, a, in another, I think it's in Mark, it says, um, Jesus, after, you know, the silence of Philip's look on his face, he says in Mark 6, how many loaves do we have? Just like, well, what do we have? Go and see. And so Philip, there's 25,000 people here. He interrupted. Go and see, says Jesus. So he goes back to the other disciples. And they're anxiously waiting for his return to see what happened. If, he, if Jesus is going to dismiss the crowd or not. And so he's coming back and he's kind of confused like this. This is my imagination just by the way. Yeah, so he's coming back and he's like this. The disciples are like, well, what did he say? He said, you feed him. What's that? What did he say? He said, you feed him. We got to feed him. He said, we feed him. And the disciples are like, what? How are we going to do that? Well, he told us to gather food uh, to see what we got. That's a hard thing to do. Like if we were to dig through everybody's purses for snacks right now, <laughs> there wouldn't be enough to feed all that who were here. And so un they're under duress, these disciples. Right? And then it says that, I'm just, I'm skipping past them. It's okay. They said that this, this little boy comes by, and, and I imagine Peter, the disciples, being the wreck that he is, would grab this little boy's lunch, like, oh, here. You know, we got five loaves and two fish. Now that little boy has got to go home, uh, tell his mom that the disciples of Jesus stole his lunch. <laughs> and <laughs> it's not a good scenario. He's, they're making bad decisions under a lot of stress. We've all been there. Right? Said this to test him. Verse 8, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here, five barley loaves and two fish. We don't know the boy's consent. They took it from him. But, but what are they for so many? Um, and so they think, fine, like, let's take this. We're going to go back to Jesus. And we'll just tell him this is all we have. This is all we could find. And then he'll dismiss the crowd for sure. Philip, go. So he grabs the bag, and he goes up, excuse me, Jesus, excuse me, he says to the crowd, and he's like, oh, all we have is, is five barley loaves and two fish. And, and by the way, barley loaves are like biscuits, okay? Five biscuits, two fish. And, uh, and then Jesus is looking at them, and he says, okay, have them sit down. Have everybody sit down. So now you're a disciple. There's no speakers. You got to yell with your voice. You got to try to get 25,000 people to Sit down. Verse 10, Jesus says, have the people sit down. 
There was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. If you read the same account in Luke chapter 9, it says that have them sit down in groups of 50. You're a disciple. You're trying to get 20 to 25,000 people to sit down in groups of 50. Like, this is crazy, Jesus. And at this point, though, I think the disciples may have been somewhat on to what Jesus was doing. Right? Because they've seen him work miracles before. They've seen him heal lepers. They've seen him uh, heal people who couldn't walk. Um, and all of these things. And so I think they might have been onto what they, he was doing because imagine, these guys' education growing up through school was to know the Old Testament. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, there's a story of Elisha where Elisha feeds 100 of his men with 20, um, I don't know why I'm doing this, with 20 loaves, 20 barley loaves. And this, in this story, Elisha prays for the loaves the loaves grow, and then they hand the loaves out. So at this point, while the disciples are sitting everybody down, they may have gotten it somewhat figured out, right? And I imagine that one of the disciples um, would have excitedly gone up to Jesus, took a piece of bread. Let's, let's pick on Peter because, you know. And so took a piece of bread, bring it to Jesus, say, Jesus, here, here's the bread. Pray for mine first. Watch, he's saying to the disciples, watch, it's going to grow. And Jesus, what he does is that Jesus, this is important too. Jesus then, he takes the loaves, uh, verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he, distrib he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish. If you look in Luke 9 again, um, there's a series of things that Jesus does. He takes the loaves. He gives thanks, he blesses them, and then he breaks them. So remember those actions. Those, that's just an important thing to remember. Um, and, and the miracle that was going to happen, I believe the disciples had a different expectation for. I think that they thought Jesus was going to take the bread and it was going to grow, and then they would hand it out. But Jesus, he has a sense of humor. So Jesus takes the bread looks up, blesses it, says thanks, breaks it, gives them back half. And now Peter or whoever, whichever one of the disciples is standing there with half a biscuit in his hand. And he's looking at it. And Jesus says, go hand it out. He's looking at the crowd. And he looks back at Jesus. And he's like, do you want to pray some more? <laughs> you wanna, <laughs> it's not really working. Jesus says, no, it's blessed, go hand it out. And so he's at this kind of moment now where he's got to walk up, never mind the 25,000, he's got to walk up to his first group of 50 people with this little bread that he could, he could probably hold it in one hand, it's only a half a loaf, and, and, and start dishing it out. What would you do if you're in his position? You go to the first person, take just a little piece. <laughs> Don't take much. Goes on to the next, just a little piece, right? <laughs> what do you do? It, that might, that was probably even an, it would be embarrassing. You got one guy probably, there's always a peanut gallery. How are you going to feed us with that? So try to shut, sit down. You know, it's passing it around. Luke 9. <laughs> Jesus says, go hand it out. And um, now here, 
and he's handing it out. And as he's handing it out, what begins to happen is the, then at that point, the bread begins to grow. Because they ended up feeding everybody with it. And here's, here's my one point. I have one point today. The miracle did not happen in Jesus' hands. The miracle happened in the disciples' hands. The miracle happened because the master blessed it. The miracle happened uh, because the master blessed it and because the disciples did what the master told them to do with what was blessed. Had it not been blessed, they would have gone out and they would have run out of bread pretty quickly. I'm going to say one more time just because it's, it's my only, I really want you guys to get it. The disciples, uh, the miracle did not happen in Jesus' hands. It happened in the disciples' hands. And the miracle happened because the master blessed it. And the disciples went out and did what the master told them to do with what was blessed. But, and, and that's why I kind of titled my sermon, Walking in the Fog, Favor of God. Because when you go and you, you take that step, when you're at that junction where you've got that half a piece of loaf in your arm, in your hand, Jesus is looking at you, he's eating the half that he kept, and you, he tells you to go, and it's not making any sense. You don't see the whole road. You've been driving in the fog, you don't see the whole road. You got faith in your car and faith on the lines on the road to kind of tell you where you're going, right? And, and there's a point where you're going to have to choose to put action to your faith. Because Jesus here... Um, he, he, he is expecting us to, to, to do what he says with what he is blessed. But a lot of us, what, what we do is we stand here and we wait for it to grow before we'll go out. We wait for it to make sense before we will proceed with what Jesus has called us to do. And, and sometimes, as sad as it is, some of us will just say it didn't work and we'll drop the bread altogether and walk away and, and, and never really knowing fully the blessing that was for us to experience. Will we be willing um, to put it all out on the line? The miracle only produced when the disciples action put action to it. Um, verses 12 and 13 says that when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, go gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments uh, from the loaves by them, uh, by the ones who had eaten it. This was an impossible situation. Remember, it's a desolate place, right? That's where Jesus and his disciples withdrew. They withdrew to a desolate place. And um, it's also a little indicative of what was happening uh, in the desert with the Egyptians, right? When the, Israel, or, sorry, with, with the Israelites left Egypt, that's where they were. They were in desolation. And this is, again, happening in desolation, in a desolate place. It was an impossible situation. They had no money, they had no food, and they had no resource in order to fill the demand that was in front of them. But because of God's 
miracle they did, but oftentimes God meets us in our desperate place. He meets us in our desolation. The Bible says that in our weakness, he is made strong. And that sometimes we feel cursed when we're in a desolate place. But that doesn't mean that God has nothing for you there. If you are in a desolate place, God has something for you there. Don't feel like you're uh, abandoned there and that you're left alone there. Now, I get it. It's not a fun place to be. It, it really isn't. But God works in desolation. Uh, Tim Hart, who spoke last week, he said something that I'll never forget it. Sometimes he says that God is so good at taking bad situations and turning them into good ones that we can confuse him for causing the bad situations. And that's, that's what God does. This was a desolate situation. He turned it for good, an impossible situation. And bread wasn't easy to acquire back then. But what's important is that nobody lacked any food. They ate until they're filled. And remember, it was Passover. You guys know the history behind Passover? Um, back when the Israelites were in Egypt, um, and, and God had sent Moses for the exodus, for all the uh, Israelites to be able to leave the oppression of Egypt, um, after, he, after the Egyptians didn't heed all of the, the signs that came, the plagues of a river turning to blood, and the, um, the frogs and the bugs and everything, that the final thing was that God told the Israelites, take the blood of a lamb and put it over your doorpost, right? And tonight, any home who is found without the lamb's blood on your doorpost, the, the, son, the life of the firstborn son will be lost. And so all the Israelites, they did that. And they, they put the, the blood on the doorpost and when the spirit came to do his work, he would look at what house had the lamb's blood on it and he would pass over it so that death wouldn't enter that house. And, it, and there's a good lesson there because God, it didn't say that the spirit looked inside the house. He just looked at where the lamb's blood was. And that's indicative of what Jesus does for us with his blood where we are covered it so that death passes over us and the Jews from this time, they made a celebration meal called Passover to remember what God had done for them that night. Um, and then at the Passover, they would eat. Now, Jesus is performing this miracle at the Passover. And some speculate that this is to be a prefiguring of the messianic banquet at the end of the age, where we will be all with Jesus. And we will eat our fill and be satisfied where forever and eternity, God provides the food and he picks up the tab every night. They figure this is a, a prefiguring of a messianic banquet at the end of the age. <clears throat> Worship team, I'll call you back up. When they had eaten their fill. There's one thing, I, I just a, a, a thought I had while we were doing worship here. Um, the number one like, call on your life to follow Jesus is not about what you can do for him, right? God will work through you, sure, and that's great. But the number one purpose of the call of God on your life is for you to have the satisfaction of God on your life and so that you can spread that to other people. And this is what's going on here. They, were, they ate and they were satisfied. 
uh, verse 14 to 15 to wrap it up. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. Real quick, you remember the actions I told you to remember when Jesus takes the bread, right? He, he takes it, he gives thanks, he blesses it, then he breaks it, and he hands it out. Now, now the disciples were holding something blessed, and only because it was blessed did it work, okay? These, these, this specific string of action that Jesus takes is the exact same actions that he performs at the Last Supper, the exact same actions that he performs at the Last Supper. But only when he does it at the Last Supper, the bread doesn't grow. They had enough. So what's the blessing for? Is Jesus just blessing into nothing? Blessing into thin air? Um, I believe that the, the blessing at this time was to multiply, but it was for the disciples. Because he was about to leave them. Right? The multiplication then was going to happen not just for the bread, but for the disciples to multiply, for the disciples to have the blessing on their life to go and make more disciples. And we are disciples of Jesus, and we all have that blessing for us to go and make more disciples. Our actions and our faith should be paired. When God gives you a calling and when God tells you to do something that doesn't make sense, if he has blessed it, if he has called you to it, if he's called you to it, he's blessed it, right? But the necessary part is that we put it to action in order to see that blessing come to full term. And we have um, a blessing, each one of us. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you have a blessing on your life to go and make more disciples. You might feel ill-equipped. You might feel like I only got this half a loaf and all this demand, I can't do it. But if God's blessed it, it's not about you. The only thing that you need to do is focus on experiencing the satisfaction of God, of walking out and seeing him work and having that privilege.